I think that was it. I want to just say uh, my wife is coming to speak today, Angel uh, and I. Uh, by the way, we keep getting asked, when are you leaving? And I, I don't know if it's like a, in a nice way. It's like, when are you leaving? Like, um, but uh, next Sunday after the service, we take off. Our, our son graduates from high school this year. We go, we go straight from church to his convocation. And, uh, and then our sabbatical kind of begins after that. So uh, we're really grateful for that opportunity. But I want to say... Um, uh, I often make kind of jokes at my wife's expense, and I really enjoy doing it. And I've tried to change, but it seems like 20 years now, and I keep on falling into this trap. So for a moment here, just a moment, I would like to say uh, she is really gracious as a person. And... And I actually, uh, I, I want to say, uh, there's no one in the world that I admire more than my wife. And in terms of her, uh, just how she operates, uh, how she lives life, and uh, I, certainly um, in how she uh, exhibits Christ to, to me and my family and, and, I, and to this church. I, I, I think I can say with confidence that there's no one uh, in this church that prays for you all more than that person. Um, I get paid to pray, but she, she, she does it of her own free will, and she cares about your spiritual lives in ways that you probably will never guess or dream about. She, she prays all kinds of amazing things for you, and I think you'll get a, a sense of that this morning as she shares, but uh, I, I, uh, I trust that, that God will, will minister through her to you. Why don't we pray and just uh, pray for her and, and pray uh, for our time now? God... We love you and we thank you, uh, Lord, for your presence in this place. When we gather, you promise to be with us. And uh, I want to thank you for the way you've already, already encouraged us. Uh, and you say to us, there's more. You want to, uh, Lord, you're always about bringing life to us. And, and I, I believe you're going to do that through Angel today. We pray for her as uh, she's uh, prayed and prepared. Uh, would you take all of that and... Uh, uh, grant us ears to hear it uh, and, and open hearts with which to receive it, Lord. All of us need to grow. All of us need a, a greater understanding of you. And so, God, we pray, use these minutes that we have together to cause us to, to, to hear your word from heaven today and use angel to, to bring it, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks, son. Which one's better? Is it? There you go. But I need to see my notes. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. I was told by my husband I need to wear a high heel so that I could use this pulpit. So I am. <laughs> uh, happy Father's Day to you. Uh, in our home, uh, we say Happy Fatter's Day. Uh, the reason is our boys went through French immersion. And in their uh, elementary school years, they had difficulty spelling uh, English words and French words. And they would always write Happy Fatter's Day to Derwin. <laughs> so we used to always say Happy Fatter's Day. So Happy Fatter's Day to you. I pray that your souls would get fat today. And may you delight in God's richest fare. Uh, 
We are going to deviate from Derwin's uh, series on Daniel, and we are going to look at Jacob today. Um, I hope you can relate to his story in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I encourage you to read uh, the story of Genesis in Genesis chapter 25 to 37, 38. His story goes on. Actually, it goes on to 50. Uh, but it's a good story to read. I am not going to read all that today. So um, the context of Jacob is that he is Abraham's grandson. Now, Abraham, if you don't know who he is, he is the pioneer of faith in the Old Testament. And uh, Jacob is the son of Isaac. Um, Isaac had him when he was 60 years old. They waited for him for 20 years uh, after their marriage. Uh, when Rebecca found out she is pregnant, uh, there were twins in her womb, and they were wrestling in, in her womb. Uh, the first oldest one who came out was Esau. Um, his, the reason his name is Esau is because he was quite hairy. So the word Esau means hairy. And second one came grabbing the heel of the oldest, uh, Esau, and so they named him Jacob. Jacob literally means heel. But in the ancient times, if somebody grabbed your heel, that means is to deceive you. So the meaning of Jacob is a deceiver. Um, Esau, Esau was an outstorman, uh, a skillful hunter, a man's man. Um, in today's day, we might say he's like a football jock, uh, like Tom Brady or something like that. Jacob, on the other hand, he was, had a quiet temperament, preferred staying at home. We might say he's a nerd uh, in, in nowadays, maybe loves to solve problems on the computer or whatever. Maybe like Bill Gates before he made his millions. And uh, in chapter 25, verse 28, it says, Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating his wild game, while Rebekah loved Jacob. You can already see trouble brewing, right? If there is favorites in, among the parents, there's always trouble. Two significant things happen in Jacob's life. Uh, first one is in chapter 25. Esau goes out hunting in the wilderness, comes home famished. Uh, Jacob, on the other hand, is home making chili. And uh, as, as uh, Esau comes, he could smell the chili. And he says to uh, Jacob, I am starving. Give me some of your re red lentils too. And Jacob replies, I'll give you a bowl of stew for your rights as a firstborn. Now, it might not mean much to you, the rights of a firstborn, but in the ancient times, the firstborn got the land because they didn't subdivide the land among their children. And uh, also, quite significant amount of the wealth, uh, the, the rest of the wealth, went to the, the firstborn. Jacob knew what he wanted, and he got it. He manipulated and stole the firstborn right from Esau. 
The second significant thing that happens is in chapter 27 in Genesis, uh, is uh, Isaac at this point in time is 85 years old, and he's going blind, and he thinks he's dying. In fact, he is not because he lives up to 185. So, but he thinks he is dying, and he wants to give his final blessing to his firstborn son Esau, which is again is a significant thing. And this time, Rebecca hears it. The mother hears it, and she and Jacob gets together, and they deceive Isaac. Uh, Jacob pretends that he is Isaac. He even wears. A goat uh, skin in his hands because he knew his father would rub his hand, arms and uh, because Jacob was not a hairy man, very smooth, while Esau was a very hairy man. So he deceives his brother, uh, his father, and says he is Esau. And um, he does get the firstborn's blessing from his father Isaac. Esau finds out, and he is angry. He's mad, and he says he vows to kill his twin brother after his father's death. So as a typical mother who likes to make sure everything is okay, she uh, sends Jacob to her brother's house so that until Esau calms down, um, so Jacob goes to his uncle Laban's house. What Rebecca doesn't know is that she will never see her favorite son ever again. So in chapter 28 of Genesis, this is where we come in. So en route to his uncle Laban's house, as he's walking, one night he has a dream where God meets with Jacob. In verse 12, it says, as he slept, that's Jacob, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth, they will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed uh, through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Verse 18, the next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it up upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. That he named that place Bethel, which means house of God. Then Jacob made this vow. If God, will be my, if God indeed will be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with the food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord certainly 
will be my God. Few observations. Uh, if you read the whole story, I only read you a passage. If you read the whole story, you find out Jacob never prayed. He didn't ask God to help him. He didn't reach out to God. It's God who reaches out to Jacob. It's God who initiates this relationship. The second observation, the stairway to heaven. Jesus says about himself that he is the stairway to heaven in, in John chapter 1, verse 51. He says, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Another observation. How does God see Jacob? He sees him as a personal Jacob, but also he sees him in the context of his family, his grandfather, his father, and also the next generations to come. That's the way God sees Jacob, his legacy. When God sees you, he sees you not just as an individual. He sees you in the context of your family as well. Your father, your great-grandfather, your grandfather, and also the generations to come. The legacy you are going to leave behind. He also sees the impact you are going to have in this world. How many of us see ourselves the way God sees us? You have power to influence the people around you. Whether you are a stay-at-home mom, or you are climbing up the corporate ladder, generations up and generations down, you have the power to influence people around you. I know we think very individualistic, right? I think my problem, my life, my sons, my house, my kids, what am I dealing with? Jacob sees himself that way too, because in verse 20, he says to God, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with the food and the clothing that I need, and if I return safely from, to my father's house, then the Lord certainly will be my God. God sees you and your influence much bigger than the way you see it. He says the world will be blessed through you. You know, we are Abraham's descendants by faith. And that is on us too. The world will be blessed through us. You, your children, and their children after them. I wonder if we started praying like that, not just for us, but for our children, if you don't have children or you are single, 
you could be aunts and uncles. You could have spiritual children, spirit, you could be aunts and nieces, all that. It's not just for those who are married. If we started praying like that for our children, our grandchildren, and great-grandchildren you haven't even had, you don't even know about, I wonder what will happen. My grandfather, um, he had 13 children, and he, uh, I remember as a young girl, him praying for his grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and his great-great-grandchildren. And I thought it was weird when I was growing up and would roll my eyes, but he, at that time he had only 10 grandchildren. Now he's gone, but he has 30 grandchildren. And out of the 30, 27 are following Jesus. And they are all over the place, you know, uh, half in Australia, half in Toronto, some in Vancouver, in England, all over the place. But it amazes me how God is faithful in answering his prayer. May God enlarge our vision more than ourselves. You know, we most of the time see our life through a keyhole. You know, when you look at a keyhole, all you see is right in front of you. But God sees your life in big picture. Sometimes I think God has not answered our prayers, maybe for healing, maybe for a difficult circumstances we are going through, and we get disillusioned by that. I think God is looking at the big picture. My brother-in-law, um, he was diagnosed with CLL, a form of leukemia, in his 40s. And I remember at that time when we found out, uh, my sisters and I and my mother, we had a prayer vigil, we fasted and prayed that God would miraculously heal him. He didn't. Uh, he went through the treatment and all that. They were living at that time in Zambia, but their residency was in Australia, so they had to go to Australia to get the treatment. I read my um, niece, she wrote a blog last year, and I read her blog, and she talked about that year. And she said that was the most difficult year of her life. It was dark, she had lots of fears, and um, she went through a very difficult time. But what she said really intrigued me. She said that is when God came near to her. And the faith that she has always trusted as her mom and dad's faith all of a sudden became hers and hers alone. God came near. She would say those were her foundational years in her authentic walk with Jesus. So sometimes if we look at our lives, we might get disillusioned, we might get disappointed with God. But you have to know God is a faithful God who answers 
your prayers in ways bigger than you could ever, ever imagine. Getting back to the story, at this point, as God reaches out to Jacob, Jacob doesn't reach out to God. He decides he wants to do life on his own terms. And God honors Jacob's choice. Um, the next season of Jacob's life is in Padan Aram, where he is going to live with his uncle. Uh, almost the first week, he sees Rachel, his uncle's daughter. She is a beauty queen, and he falls madly in love with her. Love at first sight, and he says to Laban, his uh, father-in-law-to-be, I will work for you seven years as a bride prize to marry Rachel. In those days, usually men worked for one year, maybe one and a half. He was so much in love. He said, I will work for seven years. Jacob knows what he wants, and he gets it. Except on the morning after his wedding, when he woke up, he finds out the woman who is in bed with him is not Rachel, but Leah, the not-so-beautiful sister. Uh, the father-in-law makes another deal with uh, Jacob. He says, can you work for another seven years to get married to Rachel? And that is what happens. He, marries for, he works for another seven years, but of course he gets married the following week after his first wedding. And uh, now the deceiver is being deceived by his father-in-law. I know some of you think you have a tough life living with one wife. I know Derwin thinks that. Uh, but now imagine Jacob. He has two wives, and there is competition between the two wives because Leah has four sons, and uh, Rachel is infertile, so she doesn't. So therefore, um, they get their servant girls to become their uh, Jacob's wives so they could have children through them. There is competition that goes on. So here Jacob has two wives, two servant wives, four women who are vying for his love and attention. There is emotional turmoil in Jacob's house. Uh, there is competition between the women who is sleeping with Jacob that night. They negotiate, they give things. It is really a dysfunctional family. Jacob, who longed for his father's love and blessing and never received it, now Jacob's sons, here they are longing for their father's love and his blessing. They never receive it. Isn't it interesting? Jacob is a driven man, striving for success, works hard day and night, makes a name for himself, and he's longing for the approval of his father-in-law. After 14 years, uh, he tells his father-in-law that he wants to leave and go back home. Uh, Laban negotiates now with the son-in-law, uh, because he realizes 
that God is blessing him because of Jacob, because his flock have increased quite significantly. So he says to him, okay, I'm going to give you all the spot, speckled, streaked animals, and I'll have all the others. So who, the, the new ones that come is yours. And you know what Laban does? That night, he calls his sons and says, take the spotted, streaked, speckled animals out of here. Because he, wants to, he doesn't want his son-in-law getting much rich. So that's what he does. But Jacob is a determined man. You know, he would do wheeling and dealing and get what he wants. He, uh, what he does is he cuts um, branches of uh, almond and poplar trees and he uh, cuts the uh, branches in streaks and puts them in the water trough. In those days, they believed that whatever you looked at uh, when you conceived during, at that time, that's what your babies will look like. So if you looked at a pretty baby, then you might have a pretty baby. Um, so this is what Jacob does. So he is cutting these branches and putting them in the, in the water troughs, hoping the, the animals will have spotted, streaked babies. Uh, then, of course, the father-in-law realizes, oh, he's still getting more of those. So he changes his mind. He changes his mind quite a few times. Okay, no, this time it's only spotted ones is going to be yours. And the spotted ones will increase. Um, and then he'll say, it's streaked ones is yours. And the streaked ones will, more and more babies of streaked animals would be born. Jacob again, you know, you know who Jacob is. He is striving, he is wheeling, he is dealing, he is scheming, deceiving, manipulating. He even actually, what he does is, uh, the... Uh, he lets Laban's strong animals mate with his uh, spotted, streaked, speckled animals so that all the strong ones would be his. Um, so he makes all this manipulation so that he could make his own money and make a name for himself and be self-sufficient. When it comes to Jacob's career, he's a self-made man who tries everything to be on top and be financially independent and provide for his family. How often we do that, whether we know Jesus and follow Jesus or not. You might say, what's wrong with that? That's a great thing. He's providing for his family. He's a good man. The problem is that all Jacob's hope and his identity was wrapped up in his work. The work of his hands, the load of his life, his family was on his bare shoulders. What a weight and a burden to carry that burden could crush us. The anxiety of that could paralyze us. We are never meant to live that way. 
We are meant to walk with God and let him carry those burdens for us. So after 20 years working for Laban, God again intervenes in Jacob's life. This time again in a dream, asking Jacob to return to his father's house. So in chapter 31, verse 10, we start. One time during the mating season, I, this is Jacob who's talking, had a dream and saw that the male goats were mating with the females that were streaked, speckled, or spotted. Then in my dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, and I replied, yes, here I am. The angel said, look up and you will see that only the streaked, the speckled and the spotted males are mating with the females of your flock. For I have seen how Laban has treated you. I am the God who appeared to you at Bethel, the place where you anointed the pillar of stone and made your vow to me. Now get ready and leave this country and return to the land of your birth. Again, Jacob doesn't call on God. It is God who initiates. I think it's through this God trying to meet with him. Over and over again, Jacob realizes that it is not his achievement, it's not his scheming, his dreaming that has produced all this wealth that he currently has. It is God's generosity. It's God's hand of mercy that has given him. I think this is God's mercy to Jacob because I think God is trying to take the burden off Jacob to say, Jacob, I am watching over you. I will provide for you. You do not have to carry this burden. Jacob listens to God, but still take matters into his own hands because he knows Laban and he runs away in the middle of the night. He takes his four wives, 11 sons and all his wealth and he runs away in the middle of the night without telling his father-in-law. Of course, the father-in-law is mad and he's chasing uh, Jacob and he accuses Jacob of stealing. The conversation between uh, Jacob and his father-in-law, I'm going to read you a, a small passage. I want you to pay attention and you would see Jacob's heart here, the, his pain and anguish that he lived for the last 20 years you could almost hear his heartache. Probably some of you could write a similar speech about your employer, maybe about your family or your father-in-law. Verse 38, it says, for 20 years I have been with you, he's talking to Laban, caring for your flocks. In all that time, your sheep and goats never miscarried. In all those years, I never used a single ram of yours for food. If any were attacked and killed by the wild animals, I never showed you the carcasses and asked you to reduce the count of your flock. No, I took the loss myself. 
You made me pay for every stolen animal, whether it was taken in broad daylight or the dark of the night. I worked for you through the scorching heat of the day and through the cold, sleepless nights. Yes, for 20 years I slaved in your house. I worked 14 years earning your two daughters and then six more years for your flock. And you changed my wages 10 times. In fact, if the God of my father had not been on my side, the God of Abraham and the fearsome God of Isaac, you would have set, sent me, have sent away empty-handed. But God has seen your abuse and my hard work. This is why God appeared to you last night and rebuked you. Again, this faithful God who is reaching out to Jacob, Jacob finally sees it is God who's been looking after him all these years. I find it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. The real repentance comes because of God's kindness. The blessing that uh, Jacob worked for 20 years to receive his father's blessing, he never gets it. They, uh, Jacob and Laban part ways at this point in time. Now Jacob still has to meet his brother Esau, whom he cheated 20 years ago, right? He stole from him. He sends messengers uh, ahead of him uh, to tell Esau that he is coming. And the messengers come back and tell him, Esau is coming to meet you with 400 men. Ouch. That means war. It says Jacob was greatly distressed and afraid of this news now. All that he acquired and gained in the 20 years could be gone in minutes or days, including his 11 children and four wives. Jacob gets his act together, divides his, all his property, his cattle, his flock into two camps. But this is the first time he calls on God to help him. Verse 9, uh, it says, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your land and to your relatives, and you promised me, I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except the walking stick. Now my household fills two camps. Oh Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and children. But you promised me I will surely treat you kindly 
and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore. Too many to count. Could you see the heart that changes in Jacob? It has to do with God reaching out to him over and over again to give him the true perspective of life. Jacob sends gifts to his brother, hoping to appease him, more than what he stole in the uh, birthright. Jacob then takes his wives and his servant wives and, and his children and crosses the river and puts them in a safe area and he comes back. All his uh, wealth is also on the other side, except this time Jacob is all alone. Just like 20 years ago, all alone, everything stripped away. Have you had moments like that in your life where you realize it's just me and God at the end of the day? Maybe it's through your illness, maybe it's because you moved, maybe it's life transitions, maybe death in the family. That's when you realize God is your glory. As he is a Lord, God comes to meet with Jacob again, the God who never gives up on J Jacob, the faithful God, the God of Jacob. Verse, uh, uh, in Genesis 32, verse 24, uh, it says, This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with man and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named that place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. I wonder, first when the man came to wrestle with him, whether he thought it was Esau, because he was getting ready to wrestle with the brother, right? I wonder whether he thought it was Esau. Then he finds out later in verse 32 that this is God himself. I wonder whether this was Jesus. 
the stairway between God and man who came for Jacob. It says, when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. That sounds painful. You might think that was cruel of God, but it was the mercy of God. God could have singed him to death within seconds. In fact, God didn't even have to come and meet with Jacob, didn't even have to wrestle with him. God always treats us with dignity and kindness because Jacob and God was not on equal, right? When they were wrestling, they are not equals. But it seemed like they were. It was the kindness God showed him. You know why? Because the wounded, limping Jacob will leave a greater legacy as he leans more and more into God than the Jacob who walks independent of God. And that is the mercy of God. Sometimes God comes to us in his mercy like that. We might not like it, but it is the mercy of God entering our lives. Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. Anyone who, why do you think God said that to Jacob? Let me go, because he was holding on to this man, right? Jacob is a person who never lets go. He is driven, right? He says, Let's, let me go. Because you know why? The, the sun was coming out. And it says in the Bible over and over again, anyone who sees God will die. Again, it's God's mercy. But Jacob said, I love this about Jacob, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Here is Jacob, 60 years old. And I could almost see that little boy Jacob longing for his father's approval and father's blessing. And he never received it. He looked for it in his father-in-law and never received it. Here he is begging the God of Jacob to bless him. As I was preparing this message, I had this sense that some of you here, you have longed for your father's blessing and approval, and you never received it. And some of you, you will never will because they have passed away and moved on. And I sensed the God of Jacob is here. The God of Jacob wants to bless you. He wants to say to you, you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. The God of Jacob does not wait for you to get your act together, your life in order. 
in Jacob's rebellion, in his drivenness, in his striving, in his achieving. Here is God trying to make inroads into his life. And it is the same with us. He comes to us over and over again, initiating this new relationship in some areas of our lives that we have not given to God. We are holding it on so tight, and he comes to us over and over again. The stairway, Jesus, the stairway between God and man. He is here today longing to set you free. He wants to tell you, I want to give you a new identity. You don't need to strive anymore. Just like he did to Jacob. From Jacob to Israel, the God wrestler. He longs to carry your burdens. You don't need to carry the weight of your family on your own. That is a burden you cannot carry. He wants to carry that load for you. We were created from the beginning, from Adam and Eve, to walk with God and for him to carry the heavier load for us. If we don't walk with God in every area of our lives, we become slaves to someone or something. This is the God of Jacob who invites you into this journey with him. That is only possible through Jesus, the stairway to heaven. I sense for some of you, Today, he's reaching out to you. This is him reaching out to you, saying, give it to me. I will carry that load for you. You are crushed, and you are walking with a hunch because the load is too heavy. In closing today, I'm going to show you a clip. We are not going to sing a song today. It's a father and son team, the Hoyt team. The son Rick, he cannot walk or he can't talk. Uh, he has a severe cerebral palsy and the doctors encourage the parents to institutionalize their son. But the parents didn't. And Rick asks his father if he could do a marathon so he can experience life like everyone else does. And so the father does. Thus begins the 34 years of marathon and triathlons. I think, like the son Rick, we are broken and we can't do this abundant life on our own. Let's watch the clip. It chokes me every time I see that. I see that father and I think how much he is like the God of Jacob.
And I see myself like wreck in the wheelchair. And I think I'm the one who is winning the triathlons and the races in my life. But it's not really. My Father in heaven does the real hard work. And I just pretend, hey, you know, I'm winning it. Let me pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are our Redeemer. You take our brokenness, our pain, our past, and you give us new life. Only you can bring beauty out of ashes, dancing out of mourning. You take us from the pit and you crown us with your tender mercies and loving kindness. Father, all we have, all we have has been a gift from you. I thank you that you are the perfect Father who's bigger than us, stronger than us, richer than us, who has healing in your hands. And you come to heal us, restore us, and carry us. I thank you for your faithfulness, Father. I thank you that you are a God who comes to us again and again and again. That you never leave us alone nor forsake us. Oh, Jesus, thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I pray that you would know this God of Jacob this Father's Day. The one who knows you to the depths. All your crud and all the dirt, your shame, yet loves you to the skies. Amen.